Hey, I want to uh, correct something really quick that, that my lovely wife said, that if you accidentally give $20,000 on our text to give, I just want to suggest that that two-hour window could be for you to seek the Lord on whether that was an accident <laughs> or whether you really are supposed to. I just, I just want to clarify that, that part. There are very few accidents. Some, some things are led. Hey, welcome, everybody. I'm so glad that you guys are here on our second weekend. Um, we just, I am so excited about what God is doing here at Discover Community Church. I'm so excited about what he's doing in me personally. God is speaking to me in a way just more clearly and more powerfully than he ever has before. And you know what that comes from? That comes from desperation. That comes from me going, God, I got nothing. How am I going to lead these people? How am I going to pastor these people? I need you. I need you to give me something that these people need to hear. And it's so that it's that point where I've come to the end of myself and I've said, I, I can't do this alone. And I'm 100% reliant on God to give me something. And he has blessed that in just ways that you can't imagine. So I'm so excited to see where this church goes. Um, we're just finding such favor and, and just excitement in what we've got. So thank you guys for being along for the ride. Uh, If you're just here, if you're new and you're just kind of checking it out, trying to decide, welcome. One of our biggest things, and it's right in our name, Discover Community Church. We believe that church is supposed to be a community, not just a place where you come on the weekends, hear a message, and then go home and live your life. This is a place where we come together to equip and encourage one another. Okay, we encourage one another by hearing what God is doing in our midst, and we equip by teaching of the word. That's what we do. But then we take those things and we go out into the community. And so that's what we're going to talk about here today. So last week, we're going through our vision and mission statement, our mission statement specifically. And I wanted to, that's the one that God gave me when we were praying about how to start this church and what we were going to do. God gave me our mission statement in no uncertain terms. And in fact, you may have heard this last week, but every single time I've tried to tweak it or shorten it or change the wording here and there, God says, "Uh uh-uh, that's what I gave you. And that's what I want you to stick with. So our vision, our mission right there is this. Discover Community Church is a place where the body of Christ will be encouraged and equipped to use our spiritual gifts in order to actively care for our neighboring community and to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. Encouraged by witnessing the fruit of local outreach firsthand, equipped by ongoing study of the word to hear his direction. That is our mission, and I believe that if we walk in that mission, God is going to bless what we do. But I want to take some time then and really go through that. What is that, and where's the scriptural basis for this? It isn't just something that sounded great. Um, There's a scriptural basis for everything that we do, and that's what we're going to go through today. So this week, we're going to continue kind of unpacking that mission statement by doing the first part of it. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about uh, being doers of the word. If you missed that, by the way, you can go back and you can catch that message. You can either catch it online on our website, or if you missed that, we're podcasting on iTunes. So you can go back to iTunes. Uh, We'll probably get it set up on Google Play fairly soon, but right now it's iTunes. You can go back and find that message and, uh, and see where that came from. By the way, also, before I get off track and I have to come all the way back like I did last night, we are going to, so I'm going to talk about spiritual gifts today. And I also, every week, talk about studying the Bible and how to really look at the Bible closely. Those are two things that a lot of people haven't really been taught in depth about. 
They may have, have kind of heard a little bit or they have their own way or their own understanding. We're going to be teaching in the coming weeks, months, we're going to be teaching separate classes specifically on spiritual gifts. Okay, we're going to talk in depth about what the gifts are, how to determine what yours is, and then we're also going to talk about how to study the Bible, how to do a true exegetical study and really study what the Word is saying, how to pick a translation, uh, you know, what translation of the Bible you want. We're going to talk about all those things. So watch for those things ongoing. That's something that is really important to me is that this body be educated so that when somebody comes to you and says, yeah, but what about this and what about that, you have an answer. Okay, Bible says we're going to be called to account for those things, and we're supposed to have an answer. In season, out of season, we are always supposed to be able to answer questions about those sorts of things. But you can't if you're just basing it on something you heard or you understood. It's so much better if you can research that and find out the answer for yourself. I always encourage you to seek God and get those answers for yourself. So let's go back to where we were. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 7. So when we look at that, the first thing that jumps out is, is manifestation of the Spirit. What is, what is manifestation of the Spirit? Okay, a lot of times that's kind of meant to be synonymous with gifts of the Spirit. What are gifts of the Spirit? Okay, we've heard that term, gifts of the Spirit, um, spiritual gifts. We've heard it put all kinds of different ways, but what are they? What are they? And, and really, most importantly, do you know what yours are? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? The Bible says he gives them to us, so we've got them. Do you know what yours are? The youth right now, as we speak, are in the middle of doing a what we call a spiritual gift assessment test. Now, it's a man-made test, but it's a series of questions, and it's actually really good about helping us discern what our gifts are. So they're in there doing that right now. So if you have a youth, talk to them after this service and find out how that went. This is something we're going to do as, as an adult body as part of those spiritual gifts classes that we're talking about. So if you don't know what yours is, stay tuned for that. But this might be a good time actually to back up a little bit then and talk about just briefly, because you could teach an entire series on the spiritual gifts, real briefly just kind of brush on what spiritual gifts are. Because again, a lot of people have heard that term, and they may have a good understanding, they may have a great understanding, but there are also people here who don't have any idea what that is. So rather than to spend this message talking specifically about what all the different spiritual gifts are, I'm going to brush on that. I'm going to talk about what they're to be used for, the use of the spiritual gifts, how they fit in, and what their purpose is. Okay, We can talk about what they are but they have a very specific purpose. That's the point of the message here today. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 12, chapters 4 to 7. Uh, chapters, verses 4 to 7. Here's what it says. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So that's what the Word says about that. That's Paul writing that epistle, by the way, and he's explaining what spiritual gifts are. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you also receive the spiritual gifts. Okay? You receive the Holy Spirit by accepting Jesus Christ into your heart. When you do that, you get the Holy Spirit, and along with that, you get access to the spiritual gifts. 
Okay? It just happens when you accept Jesus. It's one of the things that we receive that allows us to do what God is calling us to do. Because how many of you know when you receive Jesus into your heart, that's not the end of the story? Okay? That's the beginning of the story. That's where our story as Christians begins, is when we receive the Holy Spirit. That's not the end of everything. So what are the gifts of the Spirit? The gifts of the Spirit were originally given in, to get the church jump-started to get it going. When the apostles and the disciples are walking around and they're doing miracles, they're healing people, those are gifts that were given to them specifically to show others to make the power of Jesus known, to make his power known to people. You have to do something really spectacular to get people to take this, this religion, this Jewish religion that they've been in their whole lives, or maybe no religion at all, and actually have them stop see the grace message of Jesus and get on board with that. So the gifts were given to the early church in order to accomplish these things. Now, some people think that once the church got established, the gifts went away and the gifts quit. There are a lot of people who can argue very effectively using the word that that's how it worked. That's not what I believe. The reason I don't believe that is because I see them at work in people all the time. Okay, Gifts of healing, Gifts of prophecy. I see people prophesying in ways that there is no way that anybody other than the Holy Spirit could have empowered that, that word of prophecy. I see people being healed all the time. There's no way it's that individual's power healing someone else. It's the Holy Spirit working through them. So if you're paying attention, you'll see that every single one of these gifts of the Spirit is alive and active today. And that's what we believe is that it's, it's, there's no end to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no like, okay, mission accomplished. The gospel of Jesus is spread. Everyone knows about him. Now let's move on. That hasn't happened yet, okay? So maybe once every ear has heard of Jesus Christ, then there'll be no more need for that. But I believe that that'll be at the end of times. That's not now. Now we need the gifts to accomplish what he's got. So what are some of the gifts? So in Romans and Corinthians, both written by Paul, he talks about what they are. Now there's... Each one of these gifts, there's, there's 14, I think, right here that I'm going to list off. But there are dozens, if not hundreds, of subgroups and things that kind of fit into there. So if you don't hear the specific one, like, I thought that was a gift. Okay, there's kind of subgroups. Here are some of the main ones. Prophecy, as I already mentioned. Serving. You know, serving one another, that's actually a spiritual gift. Teaching. Encouraging or exhortation. Giving. Mercy. Leadership, wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healing, helps, miraculous powers, discerning spirits, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Okay, that's a lot of things. I understand that probably not a lot of us have heard all those. Like, what is, what is exhortation? What is this encouragement? What is all that? Well, we're going to be talking about that in the future. For now, if you have any questions about that stuff, I'll be around after service. You can grab me. I'd love to talk you through that. But I would really highly suggest that you watch for when we're doing the spiritual gifts classes. Join us in that because there's so much to talk about in that. But the important thing I think to know or to at least keep in mind is that scripture also tells us when it's describing what these gifts are and it's telling us what they're used for, it also says this. This is 1 Corinthians 12, chapter, uh, verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, all of those gifts, 
distributing to each one individually as he wills. God determines what gift he's going to give to you. And he gives it to you when and where and as he wills. Now, you have access to all of the gifts. If you don't have a gift, one of these gifts, and you're like, I would really love to be able to operate in this gift more, pray for that gift. Because later on, it also says to eagerly desire the gifts. Eagerly desire them. Pursue them. Okay? So that list, whatever you've got to start with, is not the be-all, end-all of your spiritual gifts. God comes, and he determines what you need and when you need it. And he will give you those gifts. Some people operate in them all the time. Some people every now and then. Okay? There are two different kinds of gifts. There's ones that you, that you basically have and you operate in all the time. And then other ones that will come upon you to help you accomplish a specific thing that God wants for you. So two different ways. Again, we'll talk about that in our class. But as we go on, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, this is the part that I really want to dissect here today. The manifestation of the Spirit. First of all, if you're looking at that, the manifestation of the Spirit, what is that? What is a manifestation? When I think of manifestation, here's what I think of. Ooh. The ghost appears in the corner. It manifests as this foggy, shadowy figure, and then it goes away just as quickly as it came. Okay? If you're a fan of horror movies, like, okay, then... That's what you're going to think of. Manifestation, though, what does manifestation in this context really mean? Okay, If you look at it, again, I'm always encouraging you to, to read the Bible, see what it says, and if something doesn't quite make sense, like what is that, look at it. Look at it in the Greek, look at it in the Hebrew, and see what the root of that word really is. Our English language is so limited, it really doesn't do a great job in expressing what was really meant here. But here's what it is. In the Greek, the word manifestation there means expression. It means expression of the Spirit. Okay, So when you read this, but to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, each one is given the expression of the Holy Spirit for the common good. So expression, the reason for this expression is to make Christ known. It's to make Christ known through you. You're given the gifts so that you can express the Holy Spirit so that you can make Christ known through you. So whether you've got the gift of service or prophecy or tongues or whatever it is, whatever your gift is, it's given to you for the purpose of expressing Jesus Christ through you and making him known. See, I always thought it was just for me. I was given a gift of craftsmanship so that I could work in the garage and build cool things and, you know, and enjoy that. And I love it. When you are operating in your spiritual gift, there is life in it, and it flows. And it may be the hardest work you've ever done. It's not always easy, but it's going to give you life, and it's going to flow. But I always thought that that was just for me. So, but there's more to that. I'm going to talk about that in a second. So the second part of that, the spirit for the common good. The common good, there's no fancy translation. The common good is for all of us. So they're given to you for the good of all of us. That's the important thing to know, and that's really what I'm going to dwell on because that's a different paradigm than we think about usually. When we think about a gift, we think, I got a gift. It's for me. I like my gift. I'm going to go play with it. I'm going to go have fun with it, okay? And it's for us. 
We're not used to getting gifts that are for the good of others. In fact, that's the subject of a lot of jokes. How many, how many of you got a dishwasher for Christmas? Okay. Or a new vacuum? Okay. That's one of those cliche jokes like, hey, thanks for the vacuum. Thanks for giving me a job. We don't look at gifts like that. We look at a gift as like, hey, this is for me. This is for my use. You can enjoy it from over there, but it's mine. But the kingdom of God is backwards and upside down and inside out. And so the way God does things is entirely different. He gives us these gifts for the good of others. So why would something that we are given for the good of others even be called a gift? Wouldn't that be a tool? I'm going to give you a spiritual tool that you can go use. And maybe that would be a better word if that's how we thought about that. But it's a gift. Why would he call it a gift? I think it's very apparent why it's called a gift. God gives us these gifts so that we can receive the pleasure of watching them be used. We get a front row seat to watching somebody else be built up and edified and encouraged by the gift of God that flows through us. There are gifts that I got this past Christmas, just a few weeks ago, that I've already forgotten that I got. Okay? It's already on a shelf somewhere gathering dust, or maybe it's a sweater that I probably will never wear, something like that. But when I receive the gift of the Spirit flowing through me, whether it's a word of prophecy or service or whatever it is, and I get to actually use that to help and encourage and build up somebody and make Christ known, I remember those from years ago. You remember those because you are built up and you are encouraged by watching the fruit of that happen in somebody else's life. In fact, Jesus himself said it's better to give than to receive. Okay, one of those cliche scriptures that we hear all the time, it's better to give than to receive. But isn't that true? Okay, not that some of the gifts that we get aren't amazing and cool, okay, but it's so much better when you get to give a gift and you get to watch how that changes somebody's life. Okay, I'm not talking a good pair of socks. I'm talking about when you are sharing the gift. You give somebody a word of prophecy that changes their life and encourages them. You give somebody a word of knowledge that stops them from committing suicide. How edifying is that to you? You receive that gift at that time as well. That's why I think God calls them spiritual gifts. Why they're referred to like that. So in other words, let me paraphrase that whole thing. It's not about you. We tend to think everything that happens to us or around us is all about us. But that's not true. If you are a Christian and you call Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you are here for a reason. And that reason is not just to live your life the best way that you can and go on and exit and go to heaven when it's all done. You are here to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. You're here to be a reflection of Jesus Christ in you. And ultimately, we're here to do his work while we're here on earth. And when that work is done and when there's nothing more, then he'll call you home. But if you're sitting here right now, he's got something for you. And he's going to give you the spiritual gifts to help you accomplish what you need when you need it, in season, out of season, whenever that happens. You will have what you need. So here's what I want to do. This is something that doesn't happen a lot in many churches, okay? 
it, it really hasn't happened a lot at Jubilee Fellowship, we're going to start doing this now. We are going to start sharing those words. We're going to start sharing testimonies and words of encouragement in this service. So here's what I want to do. I want to throw this out right now, and I'm going to teach you a little bit more, but I want you to start thinking of a way where God has used a gift in you to build up or to edify or to help someone else or to share the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is with someone else. I'm talking about something outside of your own abilities, outside of your own talents, something where you have used the gift to really encourage someone. So at the end of this message, we're going to start. I'm going to walk around, and we're going to share a few of these. Yours, okay? So start thinking of what those are, and I'll ask for a show of hands later. It only needs to be a minute, and I'll come to you with the microphone so you don't have to get up on stage if you don't want to. But we all have testimonies. Think about what yours is. So anyway, so going back, if Jesus said it's better to receive, better to give than to receive, why was this epistle even necessary? Okay, this, Jesus said that not too many years before Paul is actually having to write this letter to the Corinthians to, to remind them. Why wasn't it just enough to go, well, Jesus himself in his words said it's better to give than to receive, so therefore check, okay, we got it. We're doing this. Why was it necessary to go back and write a whole other letter to the Corinthians to do this? So let me, let me give you a little background of, of uh, where this epistle came from. First of all, it is an epistle. An epistle is just a biblical word for a letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Now, he was somewhere else at the time. Um, I think he was in Ephesus at the time, but he had heard of some of the things that the church in Corinth were doing. Now, this church that he went and he founded, and he got it going, and he taught them, and they received it, and they, they were Jewish converts. There were all kinds of people converting to Christ. They did that, and he said, okay, you guys got this? Okay, I'm going to go on. I'm going to go around the world and other places, and I'm going to continue to spread the word. Okay, you guys got this. Then word started to get back to Paul. Like, hey, the, you know that church in Corinth? They're doing all kinds of weird things. Maybe you need to, to go back and kind of get them back on track. So that's what most of the epistles really are. They're corrections to a church that maybe has gone a little bit uh, out of line. So it happened about, about 55 A.D., um, which, is, which is very early on in the church. So again, they, they had heard the news, they had heard about Jesus, they had heard about his resurrection, the power, they had made the conversion very recently, we're not talking centuries, and then they start slipping away. Why is that? Okay, a lot of it has to do with the city of Corinth itself and their, where they are geographically and kind of what they were as sort of an economic hub. Okay, they are, if you know much about Greece, Greece is kind of like two big sections kind of connected in the middle by a really narrow landmass. Okay, that mass is only about four miles or so wide. But it's between two seas, and it's actually in the middle of a really important trade route that goes between like, like Turkey and, and uh, Italy and, and the rest of Europe and over there, a really important trade route. Sailing in the seas was very treacherous back then, okay? If you could save a couple hundred miles by going a different route, you would do that because that made it more efficient. Just like today, the quicker you can get your, your goods and services wherever they go, the more efficient it is. So they were always looking for these reasons. So turn to Corinth. The city of Corinth, being on a little section that's only four miles wide, 
Somebody there, I don't know who, had a wonderful idea. Hey, if these ships come in to Corinth, we can take these ships, load them on, on these little like land barges, and take them across land, four miles, drop them in the ocean on the other side, and save 250 miles of sailing and all kinds of, of time for these ship captains. Okay, So they set up a very well-known commercial route through there. So what happens, those of you who have either heard or know by personal experience, when the Navy or ships dock in a port and then the crew's got nothing to do for a week or two? What happens? Okay, They start turning to, let's just say, ways to entertain themselves, ways to fill up their time. The city of Corinth was no different. It, it became well known as a center, kind of the Las Vegas of the... Uh, of Greece at that point, okay? Nothing good happens in Corinth, okay? I don't know if that was a saying, but they actually did have a saying, which was to Corinthianize. If you took something, an action, an object, or something, and you Corinthianized it, that basically meant you perverted it. You twisted it, okay? So it was very well known as a place where these kinds of things happened. In fact, at the time where Paul was writing this letter, there were over a 1,000 prostitutes in that one city alone. Okay, now this isn't a city the size of New York, it's big for its day, but a thousand prostitutes in this city, along with every other pleasure of the flesh that you could possibly imagine, was available there. So, prosperous, yes, morally corrupt, absolutely. And this is the place where Paul went to establish a church. Okay, and the church took root, okay, but then as soon as Paul left, these people were like, if you were here last week and I talked about James... I talked about James preaching to the Jewish converts who heard the message of grace and the message that it's not all about the law, and they said, okay, we're going to swing that pendulum all the way up to grace, and we're just going to operate in grace, and we're going to forget about the law. So a common theme, but this is what Paul is doing. He's finding out that the people in Corinth have said, hey, okay, we heard the message of grace, but look at all this stuff that's out there for us to enjoy. So if it's all about grace and not about law, why do we have to give that up? So he's finding out that the church is very slowly slipping back into their old ways. Okay, they still believe in Jesus. They're still going to church. They're still a church, powerful, strong church at that time, but they're straying in very bad ways from what the path is. They're very willing to jump back into the old cultural ways, okay? Uh, maybe while, while the cat's away, the mice will play. Paul's not there to keep them reined in. Or maybe it was just a slow, gradual, all of a sudden they find themselves accepting things that aren't right. So Paul's reining them back in. That's the whole thing. So when you look at some of the themes of 1 Corinthians, listen to some of the major themes. This is one specific epistle that Paul is writing to this church. Here are some of the themes. First of all, correcting the behavior of the church. Okay, Marriage. Worship, communion, treatment of one another in, in the body, spiritual gifts, unity, and love. That's a pretty broad spectrum of correction for one letter that he's sending back to a church that has already heard the teachings of Jesus. They, they've already been taught, this is what Jesus says, this is what we do. Paul founded it well, but then they slid back in. So he's got to correct them in a lot of things. So, the bottom line is we kind of hear what we want to hear, right? 
when we hear the message of grace, then we go, okay, it's all about grace, so now it's not about law. So therefore, I'm just going to take that pendulum and just swing it all the way up. Again, I don't, I don't know if this is the grace side or if this is the grace side, but there's, there's grace on one side, there's law on the other side, and very few people are able to keep that in balance, keep that right in the middle, but that's what we should be doing. But Paul himself actually a little bit earlier, realizing what's happening, he doesn't want to say, hey, all that stuff that you heard is wrong, we need to go back to the law, because he realizes that that's, there's no life there, and that's not what Jesus taught. So he actually, a little bit earlier in uh, 1023, 1 Corinthians 10.23, says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Okay, so in that word edify, what does edify mean? Edify means build up, encourage, help, show love to, show selfless love to. That's what edify means. So Paul is saying, okay, you can do everything, but not everything's good for you or those people around you. So we're supposed to be looking at ways where we can show that selfless love. And in fact, if Jesus' great commandment, okay, the, the great commandment in Matthew 22 is love the Lord and love your neighbor, if that's the embodiment of God's perfect law for us, shouldn't we be doing that too with each other? Love the Lord, love one another. That's what the gifts are given to us for. They're not for us. They're so that we can love one another, so that we can make him known. It's a very much different way than I've heard about the spiritual gifts being taught before because I've always thought, hey, I was given these gifts for me. And if they happen to benefit somebody else, that's wonderful. That's great. But they're not. We can enjoy them while we're, while we're using them. We can enjoy them, certainly, and be built up. But they are primarily for one another, not for us. We are given spiritual gifts by God to show his love. Okay? So let's go back, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Again, manifestation to make him known. They're given to you to make him known. But I want to look at the other part of that. It's not a possession. It's not something that you're giving just to have. Again, like a gift that you get at Christmas, that's a possession for you. Spiritual gifts are given to you essentially on loan from God. They manifest when they are necessary. And when they manifest and they're necessary, they're necessary for a purpose and for a reason. That's what I want you to get your head around. It's not something that just, hey, now I've got it, as if it was called a tool. Okay? A tool you can have, you put it in your tool belt, maybe you use it, maybe you don't, but it's yours. Okay? A gift, it, it's, it's on loan from God for a purpose. Again, all things have a purpose. Your gifts have a purpose. The church has a purpose. You specifically have a purpose. Everything does. So the purpose of light if you look at light, why does light exist? The light exists to illuminate things. Light exists to illuminate. We as a church body exist to illuminate Jesus. We are here for no other reason than to illuminate Jesus Christ. Okay? The spiritual gifts we are given help us to accomplish that. And that's what I want us all to understand. So we're actually going to take a time right now 
Anybody that's got a testimony, I want to share that. Because I think that not only are the spiritual gifts still alive, but Jesus is alive and active in our midst. Okay? He's working miracles. He's working signs and wonders. He's doing all these things in us, in this body, every single day. So if you're sitting there and you're going, I haven't seen any miracles or signs or wonders or anything like that in, in a while, okay? I guarantee the person next to you or somebody in your row has. And by sharing those, we're able to then encourage one another and go, oh, they're not. They're not dead. They weren't just for the early church. They're alive. And not only that, but they can happen in me. So I want to see a show of hands. Who has a testimony that they would like to share with this body? It can just be short. Okay, one there, one there. We'll go back here. I'll come to you so you don't have to come up on stage. So uh, I have a coworker who's not a believer at all, and uh, God uh, gave me a message for him one morning, and I said, hey, man, can I uh, take you into the conference room? I want to talk to you about something. And uh, God told me that he was supposed to start acting in his creativeness and his, his, his giftings as far as uh, being a musician and an actor. And I didn't know anything about this, that side of him. And uh, I told him that, and he started like tearing up. He's like, he goes, that's crazy. He goes, my wife and I were just talking about this this weekend and how this has been stored up in me. And I said, well, God told me to tell you now's the time to start. And so he's, he's since operated in that. It's pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. Good job. Good job. Thank you, Jack. All right. Cheryl? Well, it's been a while since the Lord first used me in the gift, but back in 1980, I moved from my hometown in St. Louis, and in 82, I went back to visit my home church, and there were new people there, of course, that I didn't know. After the service, the Lord told me to go to this one particular young woman and tell her that the baby she's longed for, she would have, and she looked at me and said, Oh, no. She said, I've been to many doctors, and I've been told by every doctor I will never have, a, have my own baby. And I went back to the same church two years later visiting. She walked up to me with a brand-new baby, probably two or three months old, and said, this is the baby that the Lord told you I would have. Wow. So God does work in mysterious ways. Yeah. His wonders to perform. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Over here. Laura? Well, I have a couple um, really brief ones, and I'll try to keep them brief. Um, recently, I paired up with someone else, and we were just in a group, and we were pairing up to see what kind of word God gave us for each other. And um, she ended up giving me one that was a, like a third-time confirmation of things that people had told me two other times. So um, <clears throat> that had to do with... Um, the burden I feel for my family members' spiritual growth and that I was carrying too much weight and that I needed to give it to God. So that was like the third time confirmation. And finally, I just went, okay, God, I give up. <laughs> Three times, I get it. So that was extremely helpful. And for her, it was, you're a little bunny rabbit hopping around. I mean, it doesn't matter what I said to her, but basically what it meant was she was concerned about how she couldn't pay attention to things for very long. She kept hopping around to different things. But then um, the point was, 
after the bunny rabbit stopped hopping around and looked back, it was like a beautiful corn maze sculpture. <laughs> so she was like, oh, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I, I was always discouraged about not being able to finish things, but it turns out that God is doing something in my life more beautiful than I understand, even though I seem like I'm hopping around. So that was God working in that person's life and in my life. Um, one more real quick one is some friends and I prayed for a, a waitress at a restaurant. She had crushed her elbow and it was basically made of metal and we prayed for her. I just saw her yesterday. She now has bone in her elbow. It's completely healed. Oh, nice. That's awesome. All right. Thank you. All right. I see two more hands up, so we'll, we'll cap it at those two. So I know there's many more. I'm probably going to read it because it's already in an email that I was getting ready to send to Bob. A couple of friends and I get together every once in a while for lunch. We always go to catch up and we usually end up praying for one another. Sue was especially emotional that day and visibly so. And I know a little bit of Sue's background, but an image popped into my head and as gross as this sounds, it was of a, of a baby being killed, um, sacrificed. And my first thought was, where in the heck did that come from? And God, get it out of there. But I've learned to speak out um, what I see. And it ended up actually shocking and stunning Sue because this was a part of her past, a buried part And it was an image um, that was being brought to the surface of things that she had lived through, things that she believed were unconsciously and consciously causing her pain to this day. The other friend, Kathy, who I view as very prophetic and hears the voice of the Holy Spirit very clearly, she shared an image that she also saw in this moment. And the end result was that we were able to pray for Sue, um, for deliverance, healing of the trauma that she had experienced. And with her permission, um, she said, don't change anything, but know that it is definitely healing. Um, And this is what brought to her. But in the same regard, it built my faith in being bold to prophetically, if God, the Holy Spirit, gives me an image, speak it out. So. That's good. All right. Honey, thank you. All right. Back. What was it? Emily? Okay. I'll keep this really quick, but um, I think God is in the business of delivering us from bondage and there was a woman in one of my Bible study groups, and we had each other in this group all year long. And um, I just saw it on her face, and she kept coming back and saying she wanted to end this relationship, but she didn't know how. And um, I think she was in a place of bondage, and the Lord told me to share from Joshua and Deuteronomy. Um, I just kind of shouted it at her. And I was like, be strong and very courageous. God is with you. And I was like, I don't know where that came from. But the next week, she was like, Emily, I don't know what that did, but God used that. 
to um, help me. And I went to him and I told him it was over and I feel such freedom. So God is in the business of using us as we recall his word to speak into others' lives. So all, all glory to him. Thank you, Emily. That's wonderful. All right, there are a couple things that these testimonies have in common. First of all, they're only one of, I, I promise you that there are dozens or more in the sanctuary right now. But number one, they point back to the goodness of God. They point back to God loves you enough to send someone specifically to speak to you where you are. If that's not edification, I don't know what is. But the other common thread, and this is sometimes an uncommon thread, is the boldness to step out. Sometimes we'll hear that prompting, go share this, go say this, go do that. But immediately the enemy comes in and says, uh, don't. You don't know how they're going to react. You don't even know if they're a Christian. Are they going to make fun of you? Are they going to shun you? Is it going to be bad for business? Say it's in your workplace. Is it going to get me in trouble? The enemy wants to speak all these things to us to keep us silent. You know how it says in the Bible that we ultimately defeat the devil? The power of our testimony. The power of our testimony. It's not lightning bolts from above that defeats the devil. It is the power of the testimony that God has given you. You want to defeat the devil? Speak out. When God tells you to speak, you want to defeat the devil, act. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to act, that's how we are going to overcome. And that's how we're going to make him known. Every one of you who shared a testimony with somebody, that person was encouraged. And that person may have been encouraged to then go encourage someone else. And who knows where that ends and what God can do with it. But it starts with your boldness because if you just bottle that up inside, say, that's eh, weird, I don't want to risk it. It stops right there. God's power flows through you and it takes your boldness to respond. Together as a church, we're going to use our gifts to build up, to serve, to encourage, and to make him known in our community, in our state, and in the world. Amen? Amen. All right. I want to pray, and then I'm going to introduce communion, so don't go anywhere. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God, that you are alive and active every single day, and you are here in our midst. You are not somewhere else doing something else. God, you are here with us, and you are with us no matter where we are, and you will give us what we need when we need it. So Lord, when you call us into something, let us respond boldly to that call. And I stand right now against the schemes and the lies of the enemy that would want to silence the voice and silence the actions of the sons and daughters of God. Enemy, you have no authority here. Our authority is Jesus Christ. And we will glorify him in everything we do. And you will not stop that from happening. Father, I just pray that you use us in greater ways than ever before. Lord, lead us into situations and remind us of what you've spoken to us here today. Remind us that it's not all about us. 
and how we feel and how it may impact us. It's about serving one another. Lord, use us in that way. God, we thank you. We thank you for everything that you give us and we thank you for the ways that you use us. We are blessed to be able to get a front row seat to watch what you do. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we respond to this message, guys, a couple ways that we're going to do this. We have prayer teams in the back. We have, uh, you can join them. You can pray with them for anything. It can be about this message specifically, healing, anything that you need, they're back there for you. We have cross cards at the crosses, the the cards. If you don't want to speak to somebody, but you still want to have a prayer that you would like lifted up, write it on that card, pin it to the crosses, okay? And I'll collect them and we will pray over them, okay? The other way that we can respond is just simply sitting in your chair, listening to some worship and letting the Lord minister to you, okay? I'm not just going to kick you out after a message like this. I want God to speak to you, that fresh rhema word that tells you, here's what I should do. Here's how I need to respond to this. Okay? And then probably the most important way to respond is let's celebrate Jesus by taking communion together. Okay? We're going to have Roseanne Harris come up. She's going she's gonna to walk us through what communion really means and kind of share her heart. But just from a practical standpoint, we have juice and bread at the crosses, at both crosses. So you can serve yourself or your family, whatever you'd like to do. Up front here, we'll have two stations. We'll have one there and one over here. And we will have wine and then bread and gluten-free crackers. We would be happy to serve you there. Okay, but let's take this time in prayerful response to listen to some worship and let God speak to us. Okay, and then when we're done with that, Pastor Jonathan will dismiss us. So, Roseanne. Passover was, I mean, obviously it was important, but um, this last Passover meal that Jesus was sharing with his disciples, um, I just want to just read a little bit just to kind of get the picture of why this is so important. Um, Then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover, And then they asked, where do you want us to prepare it? And he replied, as you enter a city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. So they left and they found the things just as Jesus had told them. And so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. 
So one, it's really important. He he was intentional. He he made preparations and went out of his way and found this guy with a room and all this stuff. So I think you know was a was a big deal, and it was right before he was going to be given up to death as well. So as we reflect on um, also in Corinthians, uh, Paul's talking about. Um, correcting the abuse of the Lord's Supper. And um, one of the things that he was mentioning to everybody is that there are divisions among you and that when we when we have the Lord's Supper, we should be examining ourselves. So as much as it is wonderful that God has given us this grace and he died for our sins and everything and we're free, the whole point is that he died for our sins. And so as we come to communion every week and as we go into this um, 40 days of prayer that we're um, going about to begin, maybe we can, when we come to this part of the service, um, just acknowledge, examine our hearts and really think about areas in our lives where, or ask God to show us and reveal to us areas in our lives where he wants us to um, confess and and obey and just have a have a true humbled heart, a circumcised heart, and allow him to purify us this way because this is this is an exciting, wonderful, amazing thing that we are able to do together. This is our community now, and um, Bob and Gabe have made it so that we can do this every week now together. So it is important. So when we come, um, let's look at our hearts and, and just give it to God and just confess our sins. And, and he is faithful to forgive. And that is why he died for us. So it's just a matter of acknowledging it and making it maybe a little bit more important than what it might have been before. So, Lord, help us to have humbled hearts before you and help us to give up our pride and boast in our weakness, Lord, because this is what you've called us to do, and this is why you died for our sins. This is why you died to forgive us and save us. Help us to have softened hearts and broken hearts before you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's just respond. Feel free to stand or head to communion or just relax and let God speak to you right now. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies. Till all my fears are gone Cause I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child God 
From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins, and I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. Of God, yes, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Oh, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God.
Precious, our price, the blood of Jesus. We are his children. Amen.